Hello and welcome to Resourceful, stories from the site, proudly brought to you by Resources Unearthed. At Resources Unearthed, we help executives, professionals and business owners in mining and resources to be successful both personally and professionally. We've created this podcast to help you in your employment or business, and we'll be chatting to people who have a proven track record of success in the industry. Thanks for joining us. I'm James Marshall from Resources Unearthed, and welcome to today's episode of Resourceful. Today we're sitting down with Matt O'Neill, the Chief Operating Officer of Glencore North Queensland Assets, based out of Mount Isa. Although Matt grew up in Mount Isa and his father was heavily involved in the resources industry, he had originally been determined not to work in the area himself. However, years later, this is exactly where he has ended up. Matt touches on some key principles today that have held him in good stead throughout his career. As a leader, he explains how necessary it is to really listen to your employees and provide quality feedback. Your team need to feel heard and understood, and although you might not agree, you also need to explain why this is the case. Hi, my name's Brett Cribb, Managing Director and Founder of Resources Unearthed, and welcome to Resourceful Stories from the Site. Today, I'm joined by Matt O'Neill, I've known Matt for over 20 years, over which time he's progressed through various leadership positions at Mount Isa to where he is now at, as Chief Operating Officer at Glencore North Queensland Copper Assets. The operation spreads throughout Townsville, Cloncurry, Mount Isa and Tacobar, and to say it might be complex is an underestimate. I'm looking forward to hearing Matt's stories from the site, so wherever you are, sit back, relax and enjoy this episode of Resourceful. So welcome Matt and thanks for joining us. No problems. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So, Matt, maybe uh, to begin with, could you tell us a bit about how and where you started in the mining and resources industry? Yeah, no, no problems at all. Look, that's a long time ago. I grew up in Mount Isa, so I was exposed to the mining industry almost from sort of day one at school. But my first entrance into the resources industry was actually in the mines in Mount Isa as a uh, boilermaker's trades assistant in the lead smelter. And I can certainly say that that was one of the most unique experiences I think you could hope to have, especially way back then. And uh, if ever you needed motivation to go back and study, then that was certainly it. <laughs> it would have been interesting in the smelter being the Boilermaker's assistant. Yeah, through summer in Mount Isa yeah, in full it. PPE. So yeah. yeah, no, it was horrific. Having grown up there, like I said, I went back to university, did mechanical engineering um, with the full intent of not working in Mount Isa again, which I think happens to a lot of local kids out of Mount Isa. Uh, went and did work in the construction industry. So I worked through Brisbane, Melbourne, uh, a lot in Sydney, overseas in Asia and then in America for a few years. And then ended up in a job in Melbourne, which I was quite enjoying. I started a consulting business or was partners in a consulting business with a couple of other guys. And mum and dad were still in Mount Isa and, and dad's been sort of in the resources industry for a long time. And then mum was sick. So mum was had cancer and it was the third time around we thought that maybe this was uh, a time to go and spend some time with family. And so all of us, both my brothers and myself, went back to Mount Isa uh, with a plan of being there for a few years. Now, the story could obviously end poorly, but the story ends quite well. Mum's happily uh, retired down on Bribie Island with Dad, and uh, both brothers are happily back in Brisbane on the southeast corner, and I'm now in Mount Isa, married with four kids. So I was the one that sort of stuck there. And to be honest, it's been the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me because 
what was happening in Melbourne and I think even the person I was becoming in Melbourne wasn't me. There was a whole range of things that were driving that and so to come back and sort of go back to grassroots and be happy with what you're doing has been the greatest thing ever. So we're really happy where we are and it couldn't have worked out better for us. Yeah, and certainly you had a fair bit of history with Mount Isa with your dad there, who I've worked with once before as well over the years. Yeah, and to be honest, that was probably one of the key drivers for not wanting to come back to start with. Is yeah. I wanted to sort of try and make my own way rather than always be Terry's son, which would have yeah. been the case if I'd gone back to Mount Isa. So That's right, yeah, yeah, was, from day one. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So Matt, can you tell us a bit more then about how you progressed in your career to where you are now and the skill sets maybe that you think led to that position? Yeah, look, I've gone from in the resources industry starting as a mechanical engineer out at probably George Fisher and, and even a couple other mine sites previously as a consultant through now to the chief operating officer role and even in the recent time sort of learning how that interacts with our key investors. So Glencore obviously owns the North Queensland operations, but the last probably 12 months uh, I've really had a lot to do with those guys as well. So. How that sort of started for me was, and the skill set I think that's, that's helped is really around people management and being able to relate to people. So a lot of the projects through the mechanical engineering side were driving contractors on site and being able to actually achieve the outcomes. So there's obviously contractual arrangements that sit there. And I suppose I found if you use the contractual arrangements, things didn't tend to work out quite that well. So it was more around how do you actually both work together to achieve the outcome? Obviously contractors have to make money uh, we have to get the project done within the time frame and the budgets that we wanted. So that skill set of being able to negotiate and, and come to an arrangement that suited all parties, I think, has probably been the key one that's allowed me to progress through. So I've gone through the engineering side of the business into the production side of the business, then into the maintenance side of the business, and then moved into management all over probably the last uh, 15 years, which is what I've been up in Mount Isa for now. It was interesting you talk about working with groups to get a common goal or get an outcome. Is there something maybe you could expand on some of that? Probably the key one that, that I work on or the principle I work on most there is that the most important thing that you have as somebody's supervisor or as the supervisor of whatever's going on to give them is actually your time. So taking the time to listen to what they've got to say and their thoughts and, and actually listening, not just hearing what's said, but thinking about what they're saying and providing some feedback as to why you may or may not take on their advice I think that's been probably the founding principle that stood me in good stead. I, I see a lot of people listening to what's being told to them by the people that work for them, but not really actually hearing what they're saying. So they spend the time and, and then move on and not really give it a second thought. So I think that that ability to actually understand what's being said, ask a couple of questions, think through the process and then respond. Uh, and I know that all sounds pretty basic, but to be honest, that's probably the key one that's stood me in good stead. And then the other one's also to, to not be afraid to actually disagree with what's been said, but to have reasons as to why you disagree. So not just, no, you don't do it that way because I'm the boss. I think that's probably the worst answer I've ever heard yeah. out of anyone that supervised me. That could work that way. Yeah, it yeah. Doesn't, doesn't work very well for me either. So the answer of no, I don't necessarily agree with you. These are the reasons why. And look, you may or may not be right, but unfortunately I'm your supervisor today and so we're going to do it this way. Yeah. So, I think that uh, that's really been probably the underlying thing that's that's helped me along the way. It's always a challenge of management, isn't it? That, that it is. sort of stuff and listening to people and actually making sure they understand why you're making a decision and working with them to get an outcome. No, that's exactly yeah. right. And all the textbooks have plenty of stories around how you do it, but it's actually a skill set that I see a lot of leaders don't have or lose, probably, to be honest. They had it to get into the position and then by the time they get to a more senior position, they tend yeah. to forget that that's what got yeah. them there. Matt, I think um, 
you know, it's clear you've come from a mechanical background. How did that interest in leadership and management evolve for you and get you interested and want to pursue that further? Yeah, so I always had an interest in the management side of operations. So that was how I ended up in the consulting business uh, back in Melbourne. But what I did to try and build on that was I went and did an MBA uh, a long time ago now. Mm. I'm not going to give that away, but (laughs) did that quite some time ago. So I think I can count the years, Matt. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) But uh, so that really sort of gave me the ticket into the to the game realistically you then do all the learning on the job after that and it was really just a like a degree you sort of get into the game and then you learn how to actually do it through your experience so that's evolved really from the various leaders that i've had Um, i've had some really good leaders that i've worked for i've had some really bad leaders that i've worked for and whether it's you know politically correct to say i think i've learned more from the bad leaders so i've learned how not to do things and i've seen a range of people sort of do things that I've vowed never to do if I ever get into the position where I'm in that role. Mm. And so that, that remembering that and making sure that that's an underlying sort of foundation as to how you lead, I think has been really important for me. And then the other one, and the, the real reason why I enjoy some of the leadership roles more often than not, not all of it, but is that you have an ability to influence the outcome. So you do have an ability to influence the outcome of not just the organisation that you're working for, but if you pick where I'm working today out in Mount Isa, you have such a big impact on the community mm. um, that, it, that it's really quite fulfilling in that sense, knowing that, that the community is highly reliant on the operations that we're running. That really does, I suppose, keep me energised with what's going on and keep me motivated to make sure that we're doing it as well as we can. Yeah, it's uh, certainly not just Mount Isa, no doubt. It's Townsville and Places like Cobar and Cloncurry and all that. Though. Well, that's right. And as the further afield it goes now, yeah, um, Townsville is a key one, understanding what's going on there now today and the influence that happens in northwest Queensland from Cloncurry and Mount Isa is really important. And then, like you said, Cobar as well. Having sort of been associated or looking after that site now, the similarities are striking between sort of Cobar and Mount Isa in terms of the reliance on the community, the reliance that they have on the mining operations there and even just all of the things that the community expects from a resources business to actually do. So they're all very, very similar. It's quite interesting to see. Could you tell us a bit about a difficult or interesting time in your career and including any advice you might pass on to your younger self? Yeah, look, probably the most difficult time in my career was when I transitioned from the consulting business in Melbourne uh, back into the mining industry. I suppose uh, the process of dissolving the partnership, uh, letting people know that I was headed back and I suppose away from the industry. And also the fact that I I think I gave around six months worth of notice that that was how it was going to work. All the learnings that I got out of that, the, the experience wasn't pleasant. The people I worked with, I don't think necessarily acted in good faith. And the learnings that I had from that really, you know, the advice I'd love someone to have given me was to not take that all personally. Uh, it was a lot of money for me at the time. It was just about all that I had. And I ended up losing pretty much most of that through that process. And what it did to me personally really was probably the, the hardest part of that. The money's not necessarily an important factor, but the self-esteem, the fact that I took most of that personally um, really sort of put me into a place where I wasn't overly comfortable. And the advice there is really around, you know, that don't take that personally. It's something that happens in business, but also to make sure you've always got a way or an exit strategy or a clear way of resolving conflict and differences of opinion, because that was something I went into that arrangement without having done that. And so the exit strategy or the way in which we would 
sort of finish or leave the business wasn't clearly defined at the beginning. And you know, really, if I was to go into partnerships again on any sort of venture, regardless of whether I think the person's a friend or otherwise, to really clearly define, you know, if something doesn't work out how we thought, how are we going to finish this off? And then also, you know, it's not personal. It really is business, mm. it's just how that works. But that was something that I suppose I learned through that experience and, and use that now. Yeah, exit strategies are always an important thing in business, knowing what they are. And it's, it's uh, not an easy thing to do when you're with the, with the view that you're getting together and putting a group of people together or that, oh, we're going to plan what the exit is. So Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, and it's an it's, uncomfortable conversation, it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah well, it, it can be, but it can also be, yeah, with help, it's not too bad. So it's interesting. No, it's one best had without emotion. Exactly, I think once yeah. you're, uh, And at that stage, most people can do it without the emotion because you're all thinking it's going to work. So Yeah, it's a theoretical yeah. conversation yeah, rather than, a, yeah. hey, this is really happening. Yeah, yeah, so very good. Do you have any key values and practices at work for you that you'd be willing to share with our audience? I mean, you spoke about listening to people and, and things. Is there anything else in that area that you think could assist people to listen and understand working with the team and conveying decisions, those sorts of things that you were talking about? Yeah, the, the other one that I work on there is really around sort of openness and transparency. So actually telling the truth, not trying to make the story sound either, you know, more politically correct or smarter or whatever it happens to be is that this is how I see the situation. These are the, you know, the inputs or the information that I have today. And so therefore, this is what we're thinking and where we're headed. It all sounds really easy to, to say sitting in a boardroom or sitting somewhere else, but when you actually go out onto site and you're talking to people about what's happening, whether it's a, an injury, a fatality, or whether it's a business decision that's been made, being honest about why you've made that decision, I find tends to, to work quite well. I know it also tends to get me into a bit of trouble on occasions because the further you go through, there are some things that are not necessarily secret, but aren't easily explained and complex outcomes. Yeah. So trying mm-hmm. to to get through that's often difficult on occasions, but being as honest as you can is probably the key one for me. And I think that came back to something that someone once told me where if you can look in the mirror and be happy with the person you're looking at, then you're probably pretty successful. Regardless of what role you've got um, and where you are is making sure that you are comfortable with the outcomes and, and you're actually doing what you think is right. One of the things we've explored over quite a few of these podcasts is mentors. And uh, people like Richard Morland and Ian Goodwin have spoken about the value of mentors. Is that something you see as being useful to you along the way? Yeah, it has been. Although I must say, I've thought about this question often because I've not had one person as a mentor along the way. I've had a, a variety of people depending on either the situation or the time. So probably the starting point for me, the key one was I was fortunate to have a dad that's quite senior within the organisations and industry and, and did provide you know significant help and assistance um, in terms of being able to deal with different things so I've always had that personal mentor to go back to and, and bounce things mm. off and then along the way I've, I've had a range of, of really good supervisors and otherwise that have helped me out with that so yeah I, ha- I have found that important but I've also found that I, I haven't really stuck to one mentor all the way through I've, I've changed depending on the situation I've found myself in and that's that's helped me a lot I think. Yeah, I think that that's certainly a common theme of what they've all talked about is it's not just one mentor, it's there's a group of people that you may well call on over time to assist you in the really tough decisions or the yeah, really right. development stages or whatever they might be along your career. Yeah, or even someone just to support. I know we went yeah. through a period where 
you know, a lot of people were leaving the business because we had to downsize and then we had uh, some incidents where we had a fatality and those are the sorts of times where you, you really feel isolated and on your own and to be able to pick the phone up and just bounce it off someone and say, hey, this is what's going on, this is how I feel. They may not even offer you advice, they might just sympathise, but that, that's been really valuable for me. Yeah. So are there any other tips or guidance you'd give to someone in your position or, or more probably more importantly, your younger self? I think the best advice that I give to, to some of the people coming through the industry now is to actually do the job you're doing now really well and look to enjoy the job you're doing today. Don't worry about the next job. That will take care of itself if you're actually doing the one that you're in now well. Mm. Because I see a lot of people coming through sort of today always with one eye on what's next um, and with a view of where their career is intending on going. Um, and I think that that shows, so when you, you can really see that as their supervisor or even further afield, you can see the people that are doing a really good job in the role they're doing today. And uh, with a little bit more ability, they're obviously able to do the next role. Whereas you can also see the ones that uh, aren't really that interested in what they're doing today. They're more interested in the next job. And I, and I think that that doesn't help. So it's more a case of, you know, enjoy what you're doing today, have a rough idea of a plan, but just do what you're doing today well, because I know that's sort of what I've followed through and it didn't, um, I never had a plan to be here. Uh, how it's happened has really just been opportunities have come up. So that advice, and it wasn't something that someone ever said, but that advice of just doing today well, uh, yes. tomorrow will take care of itself is, is really the key one for me. Yeah, I think, uh, and many of our interviewees that we've spoken to along the way have said, Similar things in that uh, you know opportunities just kept kept opening up for them if they were doing what they were doing well and enjoyed what they were doing and I've talked a bit about hedgehog theory in these in previous podcasts around working on the things that you enjoy doing and the things you like doing and yeah that's right and the things that you're good at and finding what they are and working towards them all the time and if you're not in a place where you're not enjoying what you're doing then and you won't enjoy everything you're doing, but if you're not- No, in a place it's the 80% where you, rule where, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right, where, you, where you're not enjoying it, then perhaps you better ask yourself whether you're in the right place. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And, and that's so important with what people do. I just, the, the 80% rule I think is important too, because there's always parts of your job and parts of your day-to-day -day activities that you wish didn't happen. Yeah, that's But it. being focused on them, I think a lot of times people focus on those rather than the other 80%, which is the good part. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What's your most memorable or funniest site story? Probably my most memorable one that springs to mind was actually a, a termination or a show cause discussion with, with one of the guys out in Cloncurry actually working there and he was being terminated for sexual harassment, which in itself is probably not ideal. But what he'd been doing was sending text messages through Facebook to a lady that worked for him and these text messages were really quite explicit. Mm. And um, we'd had the conversation and I said, look, you know, probably this isn't going to work out, but come tomorrow with your support person and we'll go through the process. And he's turned up with his mum. I sat there and uh, made the comment, I said, uh, what are you doing? He said, oh, you know, my mum's a HR professional. She's here to help me. And I said, oh, look, can we just stop? I know this is probably sort of not the way things are meant to go, but can we stop this discussion now? And I just want to have a word with you in private. And his mum got a bit upset and I said, no, look, I'm pretty sure I need to talk to him in private without you there. And then I explained to him and showed him the copies of the messages that we had. And I said, look, I'm not going to be able to do this in front of your mum. I can't put this down on yeah, the table yeah. and show your mum what you've been saying. And he's completely freaked out. And I'm like, don't do that. And I said, yeah, look, I know, but how are we going to do this now? Because your mum's sitting out there wondering what the hell we're talking about. 
So anyway, we resolved that situation, but in terms of a politically correct one, that's probably the most appropriate to tell now, but that was, uh, that was one of the more entertaining discussions around termination. I said, I can't believe you brought your mum, mate. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's that was right. such a bad idea. That was, uh, that was uh, yeah, you might have learnt might have learned from that one, mate. Oh, I hope so. I yeah, really yeah, hope yeah. so. I've still talked to him. He sent me a, a text message the other day wanting, you know, looking for something else. Yeah, I think he appreciated the fact that I didn't just throw them on the table and he would have been in more trouble would than just losing his job. That's right. Yeah. Yes, his mum mightn't have been very happy. No, I suspect <laughs> she would have been very upset. Oh, dear. So, Matt, you've been living in, in Mount Isa for over 15 years and, and I know Jan reasonably well and, you know, there's decisions and compromises you all make as a family along the way. Is there anything you or Jen would say to people who are thinking about coming, going to work in an area like Mount Isa, or, and it doesn't have to be Mount Isa, it could be over at Tom Price or somewhere, yeah. and the decisions you have to make jointly and what's helped with that for both of you, for both you and Jen, to continue making those decisions? Yeah, look, that's, that's a really important question, I think, in anyone's career because... Being able to do these sorts of roles in you know somewhat remote areas, it's important that your partner's happy and comfortable. I suppose whether it's happy, it's more comfortable on occasions around what's been going on. And, and Jen and I have had the ongoing sort of discussion around that for the last 15 years. We certainly didn't come back to Mount Isa with a 15-year plan. We came with a couple-year plan and see where it goes from there. But I think probably the key thing there is she's found a real role in the community and she's done things that may not necessarily you know, have been what were the plans originally. And also, you know, you do things in a, a regional community that you've never done before. Getting out and getting involved has stood us in really good stead. I know she was pretty interested in, uh, in potentially you know, leaving Mount Isa early on. And mm. at one point I mentioned that there was a, a job opportunity over in Canada, and this was probably you know, three to five years into our into our stay. And it was at the transition point where after, you know, two years, she actually started to enjoy what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And the decision there was, it was, you know, well, why are we leaving now? You know, I'm part of the community. I really enjoy what I'm doing. Um, the kids are really happy. I know the kids really enjoy the safety and the, the friends and the community aspect of, of living in a regional town. So they'll disappear after school. They'll walk themselves home from school, ride a bike, go and play and often we're trying to find them at sort of six o'clock at night to come in and have dinner. So I think that that aspect of living in a regional town has really been what's great for us. We were at a stage where we moved from Melbourne, had a you know a couple of children and a young family and I just don't think it could have been better for us. That's really helped us from that side of things and that's I suppose the reason we've stayed there. We really enjoy it and to the point now where my role, a lot of discussion has been around well maybe you should be living in Brisbane and to me, at the moment, that's actually a negative with where we sit as a family and where Jen sits in her career and her enjoyment of what's happening up there, then I don't really want to leave. I know that means I've got to travel more, Yeah. but uh, but for the family side of things, we've chosen that the regional lifestyle actually suits us a lot better. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people do say when you, when you tell them that you've worked in places like Mount Isa, well, why would you go there? But I think a lot of people underestimate the, the value of that community and... Uh, the closenesses of a lot of a lot of those communities for for some time is quite valuable. Oh, they really do, and even the impact you can have. I know I'm also the chairman of the aged care home there, and I mean I got no idea about yeah, that sort care. of stuff. I'm, not, I'm an engineer. What am I? So you know you get involved in things that you you never thought you would be involved in, and to see the difference you can actually make, I don't think you get those opportunities in Brisbane, Sydney, or Melbourne. Yeah, that that'd certainly be the case. A question to you, Matt, in terms of uh, your financial world, 
is there something you'd give as a guidance to your younger self around the things you've done over time and your family, you and Jen have done over time maybe that you'd be willing to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, the key thing that I wish I'd done differently was start earlier. Mm. Uh, I mean, I know that sounds pretty obvious and most people probably say the same thing. I really wish I'd started a lot earlier. And then the other one was to spend the time. I've struggled now to spend the time to look after that side of things properly. But um, yeah, focus on that a little bit earlier of having things set up properly. And probably the one I talked about of the partnership that I had with the guys in Melbourne and how that would have all worked out. Some advice on how to set that up and some advice on how to structure it at the time would have been much more beneficial financially to me than what it was. So they're probably the key things that uh, that I'd, I'd think of in that area. Yeah, and, and certainly I think it's a common story. Finding the right advice is not always easy. And uh, finding people you can trust to provide you who that might be is, the, is probably one of the key things that I see. Yeah, I, I think the trust comment's really important. I know I went and saw a few people over time and um, that trusting, I think, is probably the key one for me. You need to actually believe that the person's got your interests at heart and is actually going to look after it because obviously the biggest fear is that it all disappears after all the hard work. So uh, that's, that's a pretty key aspect for me, that trust side. Yeah. Well, Matt, thanks for joining us today and for giving our listeners some insight into the world of a mining and resources industry executive. It's been great to have you here. So thanks very much. No, no problems at all. Thanks for having me. So for those listening, if you'd like to speak to Matt, you're more than welcome to connect with him on LinkedIn and you'll see that information on our podcast series page. So thanks, Matt. Thank you, Brett. Thanks for listening to this episode of Resourceful, stories from the site. We'll be back in a month with more tips and insight from our other industry leaders. We'd love to connect with you. You can find us on all the usual social channels and our website, resourcesunearthed.com.au. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode.